Hi, uh, good afternoon. It is the top of the hour, whatever hour it may be. And this is Two on One, a weekly podcast, videocast, and conversation about pop culture and theology with theologians who like pop culture. I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart, one of your co-hosts, joined today on the telephone by the Reverend uh, Stephanie Kendall. Hi, Spiff. Can you say howdy to the good folks? Hi. Uh, Spiff is on. Hi, good folks. Spiff is on leave this week, and we are making things work because that's what we do. Sarah, I realized I was supposed to put you in the waiting room, and I didn't. So you're just here hanging out with us, too, and that's fine. Our guest this week is the Reverend Sarah Almanza. Um, I'm I'm just going to talk to you guys and our fine viewers about what uh, what I need to at the top of this hour, and that's this. Liturgical textiles are marvelous. I know that's a shock to hear from me. You, you, neither of you look shocked about this, but I'm very particular about stoles and about banners and about artwork that adorns sanctuaries because banners and stoles and artwork that or uh, decorate sanctuaries tell stories, as do we all. If you're going to tell a story, tell one of grace, tell one of beauty, tell one of compassion, and tell one that is quality. And the way you can do that, of course, is by buying your liturgical fabrics, your liturgical textiles from Jeff Onerow. You can find a full catalog of stoles, chasubles, copes, banners, paraments, and processional banners. Um, I said banners twice because they're just gorgeous. And masks. And masks for as long as we may need them at Jeff Wunrow, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com. Because Jeff is an outstanding sponsor. He has a special discount code for our viewers and listeners. You can enter the code two on one, all one word, all letters at checkout and receive 15% off your entire stole order. Not just one stole, all stoles. And I think that's a buy seven, get one free deal if the math does me right but I'm terrible at math. Anyhow, check out uh, everything Jeff Wunrow has to offer at jeffwunrow.com. Okay. Uh, happy to introduce our guest, the Reverend Sarah Almanza, who's been hanging out as we do promos. We, we never do this, but today's a little wacky, and I'm so glad about it because Sarah's one of our really great friends. Welcome to Two on One. It's so good to be here. I am sorry I look very distracted. I'm doing something new and so trying to run production on my part. Yes, Sarah is going to be streaming uh, this interview on Twitch as well. Sarah, you've become a bit of a gamer the last... Uh, that might be a generous word. I wouldn't call myself a gamer per se, but I, I do stream on Twitch. I am a Twitch streamer, uh, which started with the gaming community and being able to, to stream video games and people watch. And it's like really cool, but it has expanded to so much more since then. Uh, so I actually stream Jackbox games on Monday. I do craft and chat on Thursdays, uh, the occasional D and D game. Uh, and then we have what we call random game night where my significant other tries to convince me that video games are cool uh which is usually highly entertaining because i don't know how to use like the controllers <laughs> i'm gonna have to check that one out i always like to watch adults struggle with video games it's quite entertaining <laughs> well thank you for being here with us um make sure that we say your switch uh, your switch your twitch handle at least 10 times during the episode <laughs> it will do if, if you're on Twitch, you should watch Sarah. She's captivating and marvelous, as you well know. Spiff, are you still with us out in the mountains of North Carolina? Has Bigfoot gotten you? I am. I was just going to 
I was going to say, you know, we just said that Sarah needs to say her Twitch handle. So Sarah, what is your Twitch handle? That's great. Uh, you can uh, go to twitch.tv backslash Sarah Bear Stare One, like Care Bear Stare, but Sarah Bear Stare, S-A-R-B-E-A-R-S-T-A-R-E and the number one. <laughs> All right. Sarah Bear Stare. I like Sarah it. Bear Stare. A deep cut from the 80s. All right. Well, so we're talking today about Harry Potter, the boy who lived, and particularly Gryffindor House. Now, a reminder to our listeners and viewers, uh, Spiff is a Ravenclaw. I identify strongly with Slytherin House, um, as does, incidentally, Whitney Waller. So, like, I'm in good company. And Sarah, you are a Gryffindor. I am. I'm actually like a, a Griffin Puff, like half Hufflepuff, half Gryffindor. But when um, I've been really feeling that Gryffindor energy lately, so I lean into it. And especially today, going to lean into that Gryffindor-ness that is in me. Excellent. Well, I guess the starting question is kind of how we start things up. What's your, what's your, where are you with Harry Potter? What, uh, how did you get into it? What does it mean to you? Both it and he, I guess. Yeah. So I remember my mom making us sit down as a family and she read the first book out loud to all of us, or maybe we all took turns reading. I don't remember it exactly, but, uh, it was like family reading night and we'd sit down and read a book. And it was like, looking back, it sounds so sweet and adorable, but I very distinctly remember being like, I'm way too cool for this. Uh, so I would have been like fifth or sixth grade, I think, when when we did that. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, maybe seventh grade. Um, and then I, I kind of stepped away from the books for a while. And as the fourth one came out, I got excited again and and reread all of the or read all of them up to four. And then as every book came out, I reread from beginning, you know, from book one to the most current book. And since then, I've read book one through seven countless number of times because it just, it gives me hope and comfort each and every time I read it. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I've learned about myself. I'm not a wizarding world fan. I'm a pretty like hardcore Harry Potter fan. Um, and, and really just truly love the books. I love the culture. Um, for a long time, I wrestled with, uh, the author and some of her really problematic things that she says. Uh, and then I realized like, you know what? In the Bible, the authors of that probably had some pretty problematic things of their time, but that doesn't take away from the scripture and the value and the hope and the comfort that it brings me. So let's do this with, let's do with this with the Harry Potter books. Like I will not let the problems of the author take away the, the sacredness of the books for me. And so they, every time I read them, they inspire me. Um, they inspire me in new and wonderful ways. Just like when you read scripture, you often are inspired in new and wonderful ways every time you engage, you know, even the same text over and over again. Okay. Wow. Ooh, amen. <laughs> Sarah, is there, as a Gryffindor, is there a book that you relate to most? I know for me as a Ravenclaw, um, and I have noticed that of Ravenclaws, for whatever reason, we are drawn to Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, and I think, I, I, you know, I think that there's a little bit of the, um, the ability to kind of think through things in new ways and things that happen and new characters that happen in that space that seem to relate to Ravenclaws for whatever reason. But as a Gryffindor, is there one that you like best? Ooh, what an interesting question. I love the, 
<laughs> I I love The Prisoner of Azkaban. That's my favorite book. But I think, and again, it's like introducing new characters. Uh, we're kind of finally starting to take that those steps into like uh, the more challenging world. We're starting to face some bigger emotions. Uh, and I think the story gets a little more complex. Uh, so I do love, I love, um, you know, The Prisoner of Azkaban. I think specifically as a Gryffindor, though, I probably lean into um, either The Goblet of Fire or The Order of Phoenix more just because there's more challenges. There's more actions of becoming heroes and and figuring out how to... Um, live out the goodness and fight the badness in the world. And uh, so I, I do love those as a Gryffindor, like the the challenges that come along with the Goblet of Fire. Um, and then in, in the Order of Phoenix, I, I feel that that struggle of like, as the kids have to wait while the adults are getting everything and preparing. And um, so I, I enjoy, I enjoy the both of those a lot as a Gryffindor. I like it. And oh, I like that. Yeah, there's, there's, the, the, oh, please keep going. No, please. I defer to you. You're on the phone. Um, <laughs> and y'all can just like ask me when to speak because I realize that there's probably a little bit of a lag. Um, but I really, I appreciate that. And I, the other question I wanted to kind of bring into this space as I, um, you know, I think that we are postured as readers to want to be Gryffindors uh, because that's the house that you kind of experience the world through um, most often. And Gryffindors are known for being uh, brave and courageous. That's kind of their like ammo. And I wonder how this series and identifying as uh, a brave character, like a self-identified brave character uh, has influenced your understanding of, especially our world today that, um, need such bravery. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I absolutely agree with you. We are, are geared towards being Gryffindors. Uh, there is an inherent bias throughout the books towards Gryffindor. Uh, and in mo most of the wizarding world, we actually just bought a board game called Battle of Hogwarts or Hogwarts Battle. I don't remember. Uh, but you can only be Gryffindor players. <laughs> <laughs> just not about Ooh, not having options. <laughs> um, but I think for what I, I do love about the being a Gryffindor and about that house is just the, the bravery, the, the being bold and standing up for what is good and right and just. And I think that is what we as people of faith and we as the church need to do more of. Mm. Um, and, and to just like, Oh, like just take that bravery, take that boldness and do it and live it out. And, you know, don't live in the fear of the consequences or the what ifs or the unknown, or do we have enough money or do we have enough people or like, let's just be brave and be bold and do it and live it out. And so like, I think that, that, that quick to act uh, component of uh, Gryffindors is uh, something I wish the church would be a little better at um, and probably is one of the things that I challenge the church to do a lot more is like, okay, let's try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's great. But at least we tried it. And at least we live boldly into creating good and justice and, hmm. you know, some hope and love in the world. So a, uh, a theory that, that uh, we, we kind of begun operating with 
a couple weeks ago when we talked about Hufflepuff was that Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws and Slytherins, there's not a big stall on those folk. Like they just kind of fall into those houses, but you have to choose to be Gryffindor. Yeah. That is like, you have to, you have to take the risk of saying to the sorting hat, I want Gryffindor because that's, that's the test for boldness. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Continue. Oh, no, no, no. It's that, that spurred something in you and I'd love for you to take it and run with it. Yeah. So I, I heard a, you know, shock. I listened to your Harry Potter uh, episode. <laughs> um, I listened to that and I love that idea and it makes a lot of sense. I think though the approach I take and what I guess I've always like imagined in the way I see the wizarding world is really that the houses are a little more balanced than we realize. Um, like Ron's a Hufflepuff. Hermione is a Ravenclaw. Harry's a Slytherin. Like, and, and I think that like they're in, in like leaning into the goodness, uh, that assumption that I put on the sorting hat and on the books, uh, that like, we still need all of these other characteristics to make any house good and right. And to be that best house is to have a balance. And so I think on some level, it's completely random on another level. Maybe it's like something that the sorting hat sees. So uh, so maybe everybody's a Griffin puff or a slither claw or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be, there has to be, there, the, people don't just break into one of four colors um, and characteristics. Is that, Fair. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you probably have those unique people who are like, yes, this, yes, that, yes, this. But I think there's a, if we were all the same, life would be boring. And I think if, if you had all of these people who were all super hardcore Gryffindors in one house, like that house wouldn't be able to function. <laughs> so have you, have you seen a very Potter musical? Spiff, have you seen a very Potter musical? I haven't. We had that conversation. I uh, I haven't seen Puffs either, but there are there's a couple musicals that I, I know that I need to lean into. <laughs> um, I'm a bad Harry Potter fan, and I know exactly what you're talking about, but I've never seen it. <laughs> I so like it's it's fascinating to me because they 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 make a lot of fun of the houses, just the general idea of it, and how every bad guy is from Slytherin, and it's. The the redemptive quality though is that everyone just kind of like merges into, you know, okay, they're wearing different colored ties. Um, it's so I think I, I'm sorry I've got to bring enneagram theory into this a little bit just because it's been on my brain lately. Uh, for those of you filling out, I was going to do the same thing, so you're yeah. okay. So uh, Suzanne Stabile suggests that uh, the world is primarily on the inner triad of three, six, and nine. Probably sixes are the majority in the U.S. Sixes being uh, loyal, having the gut instinct of fear. Um, they show up. And then nines, probably it's global. It's people who just kind of merge and go with it, who have, they see both sides. They're able to, I always say, function like adults. Um, is is Hogwarts ultimately inviting us to embrace our nininess? Like, do, do you think... One, I think J.K. Rowling's a three on the Enneagram, uh, but not all turfs are threes. Uh, see, I'm, I brought that up because I hate that about her. And not uh, all threes are turfs. Not all threes right, are right. turfs. That is also correct. That is also correct. Um, not at all what I was saying. Threes, please don't suggest I am saying that. Um, do the houses matter, I guess, ultimately? That's a I, good. Can Go I ahead. jump in? Yeah. 
sorry. I I think I'm on a lag, so I'm like, you know, I'm not sure when and I should jump in. But I think that they matter because belonging does matter. Like you find your people. Like there's something that I like about like, yes, Gryffindors are brave. And yet they're not the only ones with characteristics of bravery. And like, it's kind of like, yes, threes are known for wanting to achieve. And yet we're not the only ones who achieve things. But it matters that I am a three and that I know that I am a three or that I know that I am a Ravenclaw because you can see yourself reflected in others well that help you grow into your best self when you're with people that, uh, that can help you self-identify and yet uh, help you grow into a broader perspective. Yeah, that's exactly so, exactly what's what Smith said. It, belonging is important. Well, okay, but like, let's let me take the summer camp example too, though. Um, I I love middle school camp. I think I, I know I've done middle school camp with you a thousand times, Sarah. Spiff, did you ever do Cairo camp at Athens? We've done camp together. Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I haven't been on staff with both of you at a middle school camp, but like I, my favorite thing is on the first day is like the whole, like let's tie dye t-shirts and then you're the red group or the green group or the pink group or whatever. Um, because it's a, it, it is that identity and it's like, these are your people and this is, this is the foundation of it. But like I, the houses thing to me is always like, Oh, got 50 points taken away because I was out past curfew. It shouldn't be like, I am morally obligated to fight and kill people from another house because it's there. You know what I mean? I feel like it it got amped up into like, it it almost felt like a reformation war in the 17th century rather than uh, denominational deflavoring. I don't know. I, I I think there was a question in there. Or it feels a little maybe like nationalism. Ooh, okay. Does, like does, like I can like I was actually saving this question for next week because I think Slytherins and maybe Arthur you can speak to this. I think Slytherins, at least how they are written, not all Slytherins obviously, but like Slytherin House more than any other house in the books or in the movies. Uh, operate with an understanding that like Slytherins protect Slytherins, right? There is an insular understanding of like what it means to be Slytherins. We see a lot more kind of uh, collegiality between the other houses, especially in like Battle of Hogwarts and things like that. Although that's when Slytherins come out of that kind of um, more, we protect our own, although not always because you see a lot of them leave and still be like, this is who we are. And it has reminded me in recent year or in the last couple of years, let's say of um, the growing space of like America first nationalism Mm -hmm. and uh, how detrimental that can be to a global posturing of what it means to be accountable to people on the other side of the world. And so I wonder if that rings true for you, Arthur, as a Slytherin, and if that's kind of what you're getting to. Well, what popped into my head wasn't America first. It was the idea of like a thin green line. Mm. Um, mm. I, I went to the toxicity of, of a lot of culture with, with police departments and how they protect their own and how, you know, well, it's just a few rotten apples. Yes. And a few rotten apples spoil all of them. Um. 
I, I, I'm going to have to sit with that until next week, I think. And forgive me, that's a really good question and really good point, Spiff. Sarah, what do you think? Oh, that I think that's absolutely something we need to think about, uh, especially when we are putting people into into categories and we want them to live into this, you know, identity of whatever. I think I've always been a big believer that extremism in any, in pretty much any setting can be really harmful. And so like, when you're like, when you go to that extreme, like I'm a hardcore Gryffindor, I'm a hardcore American, I'm a hardcore Christian, I'm a hard, like when you get into that extreme world, you're hitting that fundamentalism, you're hitting that, you know, the problematic components of like, just being way, just, what's the right word I'm looking for? Just, it's just, it's, it can be problematic. You, you get too far in and too far deep and you, you aren't able to see the bigger picture, I think oftentimes. Um, the blinders get put up and it's harder to see the world around you. It's harder to honor and recognize and support and create space for others around you because you get so embedded, deeply embedded in whatever this, this identity or this, you know, house may be. Well, and I think it's, I think that there's something there in like the fact that we're saying like, it's okay. And you should belong, right? Like, black, like right now, especially let's say that, spaces for black people to be with black people are probably really healing and good for them, right? That's what kind of last week's scripture of Jesus saying, peace be with you. Uh, the you functions as both a plural, like group you, like two or more and the personal you. And so it's like, take care of you and take care of your community, your culture. And yet it can't be the only space in which you function because that's also not the way in which we are called to build the kingdom. And so it's, uh, you know, or like all queer spaces for queer people, like that's a really healthy, healthy space for them to, to be, you know, a, it's safe. Like there's safety in there because you recognize uh, or you have a, a, a partner in that journey. And yet when you are only in those spaces, it keeps the blinders of what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, and so the uh, the larger kind of swath of the wizarding world gets lost if you are only Slytherin and Slytherin first, or only Gryffindor, or only Ravenclaw. When and then you fail to see not only the other houses of Hogwarts, but you fail to see that there are other schools in the wizarding world. Um, I just got to throw this out because you mentioned queer spaces. If you're a straight woman and you are having a bachelorette party, do not go to a gay bar. They are not for you. You do not belong there. <laughs> Yes. I'm looking right at the camera when I say this because I want our viewers to understand that. Do not have a bachelorette party, straight women, particularly straight white women at a gay bar. Thank you. My laughter was an affirmation, not in like, I realize that may have come across no, really wrong. <laughs> like, good. please I, don't. Like, don't do that. <laughs> please don't. Spiff, are you just so done now because I had to have a PSA? <laughs> No, I think it's just really, I mean, like, I think these are all learning and growing phases, right? Two-on-one at its best is a conversation about helping us become our best selves using pop culture and the things that we are leaning into in these spaces of isolation. And I think that isolation via this kind of COVID necessity has shown how, um, 
how spaces that are not expansive and or how spaces that kind of keep you insular can be both healing and harmful mm-hmm. and that we need to just pay attention to the way in which we how we identify socially and personally and what that means for our relationships to others. So, and I, so I think it brings up an ethical issue too. Um, the ethics of Hogwarts seems to be very laissez, laissez faire, right? Like, you know, let's, let's, let's leave policing to the, to the nerds who'd be head boy and girl. Um, and I'm just waiting for Spiff to tell me that she wanted, she would totally be head girl of, uh, of Hogwarts. You totally would, wouldn't you, Spiff? The, uh, uh, Arthur, when I went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, it was the only, uh, well, I bought two souvenirs. One, I got fitted for a wand, and two, I bought a head girl pin. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> I love it. I'm not surprised at all. Anyways, let, let the... Ooh, that's the, a question. What no, did no you purchase when you... <laughs> what did you purchase when you visited the Wizarding World? That's uh, that probably I tells you a lot about visited. you. I do have a wand that was made by my friend Aaron, who went on a wand making kick for a few years. Uh, mine is oak with a dragon heartstring, and it's like it's powerful. It's very hard to teach, and it's pretty much uncontrollable. And I was like, that's that seems like an indictment. <laughs> What did you get, Sarah? <laughs> um, the one thing I purchased was Molly Weasley's wand. And I walked through and tried to decide which character I wanted for a long time. And Molly Weasley was, I was like, this is right. Like, this is, this is the right wand. And I, I love it. You can see it like on the bookshelf in the background here. Yes, and are those the Harry Potter books up? Like they would be like, right. Behind the plant. Yeah. Like yep, right those there. are them. Yep. <laughs> Harry Potter's all. <laughs> then we got like bookends that look like Hedwig back here. <laughs> wow. That's that's intense. I like it. So why Molly Weasley? What 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 spins your wheels about Molly? I I that is someone like I want to grow into as an adult. Um because she is uh she is the I'm going to make people feel welcome. I, you always have a place in my home. Like, I don't care who you are, whether you're one of my biological children or a stranger off the street, there is a place here for you and I'm going to feed you and you're going to be fed well. Um, and I love that. She's but she's a badass. Yes. <laughs> but she's also she a badass. That not my, and Sarah, I resonate that for you. Like, I can see how that resonates with you. That like the, in the book, was it book seven when she's like not my daughter and she goes for uh Bellatrix with fame and I'm like it's such a good showing of the the dynamic and nuanced ways in which we first of all uh understand women right you want to think of Molly Weasley as just like this mother of seven children a housewife sort of a thing and yet she just dominates in the battle yeah. And she's not like, she's a protector. She, and that's where like, I think my Hufflepuff comes out. Like I'm incredibly loyal. Like she has those same qualities, that protector, that loyalty. Um, and like, but not my daughter. And she kills one of the fiercest, nastiest, most awful witches around. Like nobody else had done that before. And she just was like, absolutely not. <laughs> Not today, Satan. Not today. Like, and I love that about Molly Weasley. <laughs> I bought a pin that I have. She is the mom that we. Go ahead, Spiff. Oh, go ahead, Arthur. No, 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 please. I was saying she's the mom that. 
she's a mom that all of those there's a lot of uh kids that are harry's uh age that come in that are orphans or have lost mom right we don't know where luna's mom is or luna's mom has died uh neville's parents are killed by bellatrix and so like molly weasley saying this is like these are my kids i am the mom of this story uh and like it like i think she would have come for bellatrix whether or not bellatrix was going after Ginny, which is what was actually happening in the moment but like it, any of those kids, any of, you know, just the opportunity to mama bear out in a protector sort of way, I think is where we see Molly really shine. And it comes in a way that is both understood and unexpected because of how she has um, been such a caregiver as well. Like we have a tendency, and I wonder if the church could learn something from that, that we have a tendency to say the one gift that shines brightest is often what you are identified as and yet which then puts you in a space that doesn't let your other gifts shine so molly is this you know nurturing housewife and yet she is an incredibly skilled witch with the power to take down you know a witch that we know is incredibly skilled as well and so if we had said no molly you have to stay at home and keep the homestead because we need a mother figure in this world and in this way we would have lost a key component of the battle and does the church do that in a way to its pastors oh we brought that pastor on to preach well and yet you know we're going to not let them understand the financials of the church fully because that's not a gift that we have seen and or that we called to called them to in the space does that make sense Please, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I think it does make sense in a lot of ways. And I think it even goes back to um, if we want to talk about like the patriarchy in the church and how it all comes back to the patriarchy. It always comes back to the patriarchy. Um, You know, like we, we don't always value and lift up you know, some of these female voices or non-male dominated voices, you know, um, and, and I think that like with, you know, it's that Martha or Mary component, like who do we value more, Martha or Mary? And Molly is both. Like, mm. it's not this, this binary of one or the other. It's both and like, yes, I can. Like, I love building relationships with people in church. It's like one of my passions of church. And I think that's one of the important parts of living out the gospel is building relationships with others and feeding others and serving others. But also like, give, give me a pulpit and an opportunity to share the good word. And like, I love it. And I think, uh, that isn't always seen coming from me as a a female who would, you know, loves this, like sitting down and building relationships and feeding and nurturing. And then you're like, Oh, but also I've got a word to share. And so I think you see that. I mean, you see that through scripture, you see that throughout the stories of life. And that's part of why I identify as Molly so much. May I pivot? Always. Can we talk about house elves for a few minutes? Can we talk about what it means that the wizarding economy is in fact based on enslaving sentient creatures? Because I'm not just going to be like, slavery, is it bad? (laughs) My question is this, like it's, it's an ugly, nasty secret that the, the muggle borns like are clearly the most uncomfortable with. Like in the books, Ron is like, yeah, just kind of the way, 
the world works. So this is this might be way too out of left field, and I apologize if it is. One of the things I struggle with is that we benefit from essentially enslaved people in our economy. There are like like the the way late stage capitalism works is there has to be an underclass that does not have enough in order for us to benefit in the middle class wherever we land in it, let alone the ridiculous billionaires, all of whom should be braised and eaten by the poor. So how how do we establish spew without being uh, enormous hypocrites? Right. Like, remember, you'll remember Hermione with her her boldness, her justice, her courage, her passion. Like, I'm only going to eat food I prepared, but she eventually buckles down and has one of the ridiculous feasts. Like, how do we do that? How do we how do we address it when people say, well, you're using an iPhone and those are made essentially by slaves? So is the question, how do we change culture? The question is, how do we change culture and how do we live in it as we change it? Because I struggle with it. I want to become a hermit who lives in the woods and eats mushrooms that he cultivates on the side of his house. But I like meat. Hard meats. Spiff. I was waiting. I was waiting for the hard meat joke. <laughs> I don't know. Sarah, do you have a thought? Yeah. Yeah. I, um... This is where this, I mean, it's, it's mm, institutionalized oppression is just such a hard thing to change, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Mm. And one of the, the, you know, the challenge that Hermione finds with spew is that the house elves, house elves don't want that change. They want to serve. They want to do this because that's what the institution has always allowed them to do and be. And so um, we could go really, f- I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole about like what the uh, house elves like want, but creating that change is so hard. Um, how do we, how do we like, I think capitalism is a great example um, of like, how do we, how do we change it? It's like, how do we get people on board when so many people benefit from it? Uh, I mean, I've, uh, I've, as many of you may or may not know, like I'm, I'm also a bartender. I have bartended for years to supplement my income. And in Texas, that means they can pay me $2.25 an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really hard to push against that. Cause also like I can make baller ass tips and make plenty of money that way. And it works because it pays my bills, but disrupting that system to change it is really hard because I mean, it, it involves, you know, um, levels of change from like politics to policy to uh, the persons and, and how do we, how do you say to me like, Oh, Sarah, we want to give you a living wage, but that means we're going to take away your tips. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm like, but no, don't take away my tips. I can make so much on tips. Um, But also like screw tips. I'm not about that. Give me a living wage any day. (laughs) So it's just, it's, but it's a tricky like component of how do you, how do you advocate for house elves while still, you know, embracing them for who they are and where they're at in life. And then how do you walk that path of creating something better? We know how to be better. How do we implement that better life for all? 
Um, and it's, it's a, it's a tricky problem. I don't know that I have a solution to it, but I do think about it a lot. I do too. And I think there's, there's something to the courage to be in relationship. Like we understand what's happening with house elves primarily because Hermione befriends Dobby and then Harry, you know, or like the other house elves there, or that it's not a one-off with what we understand for Dobby's existence, but that when we start to see the larger uh, picture of who house elves are and it becomes like, what does that one relationship that you are brave and courageous enough to pursue and live into out loud that then models new relationships for other people and even if they don't have the courage to do so you've inspired them to think about why that relationship exists like you know if you've never thought about the humanity of a house elf and then you see a free house elf and hear the story that Hermione slipped a sock to him or Barry slipped the sock to him uh you know then you start to rethink your own relationship even if you don't, for whatever reason, have the courage to do that yourself. Does does that inspire the next generation? Is it, is, it, is it like that single step? And again, this is me processing in the moment of thinking about this. It is something that I think about a lot. Institutional changes, I think, something all three of us uh, grapple with on the daily as the, in the spaces that we serve and the, the God that we serve and the relationships that we are continuing to build and privilege and value. Um, but what does that look like when, when you do that? And I think that there's something to the power of lament that uh, Hermione leads in, uh, in that space of saying, like, this is wrong. Like, this is, I'm trying and I'm going to fail, right? There's, there's something that white supremacy teaches us about perfection that we always continuously attempt to lean into, that perfection is the goal rather than just trying and knowing that, a, a, a solid I'm sorry does uh, can do more healing than not making the mistake in the first place. Mm. And if, yeah, it's, it's the lie of white supremacy. If you can't answer all of my objections, you have no right to object. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, last week, uh, like I, or a couple of weeks ago, I came into the conversation like ready to just reject Harry Potter because I prefer Hermione. She's my favorite character. I would much rather have read Hermione Granger and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, and with her like angry jock friend, Harry stomping through every few chapters. Right. Uh, and yet talking about Harry as a child of trauma, um, especially doing trauma informed parenting. Like I'm like, Oh, Dang. So this is this is a loaded question. And I know that if Douglas Ann Cartwright is watching this right now, I'm going to get a text from her if she still has my number. Dobby sucks. Change my mind. About Harry? Oh, no, about Dobby. I oh, about Dobby. Dobby. I actually cheered when Dobby died. <gasps> what is wrong with you? He's the worst just character. So uh, change my mind. Yeah. I've uh, I I don't know that that's mine and Sarah's work. Well, it's not my work. I think you need to, <laughs> I would say, uh, you me, can, you, if you want to change your mind, I don't think Dobby sucks, but I, if you want your mind changed, go ahead. 
Let me let me rephrase my question because you're right. It's not your work to change my mind. And thank you. That was poor phrasing on my part and a bit imperious. I have trouble with Dobby because I don't think he contributes a lot to the story. And I think he's poorly written and characterized. What is it that you see about Dobby that you find engaging or life-giving? Because I would like to know because I think my perspective is missing. Is that better? Yes. yes. Okay. I, I, I don't, I do not want to be that guy who's imperial in conversation. Excuse me for venturing down that road for the sake of humor. Oh, it's all good. Uh, so I shared with y'all that my favorite um, character is Dobby, actually. Yeah. Um, and right. exactly. <laughs> where you're like, I hate Dobby's the worst. And I'm like, but Dobby's my favorite. I don't hate him. I just, I, I'd like you to talk more about it, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Dobby brings this level of like, I don't know. He's that underdog. He's not the main character. He, he does things not like with good intentions, but messes things up epically uh, causes like, unfortunately a lot of harm to Harry in uh, the chamber of secrets when trying to keep Harry safe. Uh, but uh, so we, but what I love, he's, He's a free elf. Mm. And just that like, and Dob and and you know, he's a free elf and Dobby has friends. And just those moments that are meant to pull on your heartstrings, like, but they they do for me. Um, he shows up when when needed. Uh he he doesn't ask for anything in return. He just craves love and affection and wants to do his own thing. Like he doesn't care if the rest of the house elves um, shun him for wanting a wage. Like he doesn't care that he's different and breaking out of this, this um, breaking out of this, this tradition, this, this oppression to do something different and ask for, for a living wage, but not too much of course, cause that's still there, but he, he marches to the beat of his own drum and he shows up in some of the most unexpected ways. And he always shows up and he is brave mm. and he is a good friend. And when they're like, we need a place for Dumbledore's army to meet. He's like, Oh, I got a place. And he's just like excited. Like when he decorates for Christmas and puts all the little globes of Harry around, like he loves his friends. Um, and he's a free elf. And they're just really like, it does something for me. Like I could, I was struggling to narrow down my favorite character and realize I really want a Dobby tattoo one day. And I was like, if I'm willing to put this character on my body, it's probably my favorite character. <laughs> so Okay, you actually have, <laughs> yeah, and I like that. And didn't what, what I also think that? Go ahead. No, I'm deferring to you. You're on the phone. Okay. <laughs> um, again, I apologize to our listeners and viewers. Um, you don't have to. Apologize. I like Dobby as someone as a uh, as a three, and as someone who. Dobby embodies a space of shame that he that I find really helpful because even in his best moments when he is trying and there is like the shame and there is some self-harm and things like that that it models some real human characteristics that remind us that like we are complex he is a trauma uh created and informed character that in his freedom we did not he was not prepared 
for the emotions that accompany that freedom. And when he hurts himself, it hurts me in a way that makes me understand people better. I also think he's in a system, like Sarah said, that is not of his own making, even though he is, quote, free. He's not really free. He's not, it's not equitable or just. He's just not bound to serving anyone, although serving is part of how he feels loved. And he still is tied to that and how complex these systems of oppression are. And what I like about so much of that also is that it informs our understanding of where Hermione comes from as well as with two, like she grew up in the muggle world um, to muggle parents and yet has, you know, come into a system of, um, of magic that has, is who she is meant to be. But in the same way, when she, has to erase her parents' memory of her for their own health and safety. That, for me, broke me in the way that, like, Dobby's self-harm did. And I, I see them, why she, I think, goes, why Hermione's care for house elves uh, runs so deep is that I think they both come from situations and places that are not theirs. Um, and and have found themselves in new communities that have are trying to accept them, and yet still she gets called terrible names, and Dobby is still seen as just an elf. And I think that they inform each other in a way that can inform us as the church and us as church leaders to have a bit more compassion and be a bit more curious about the ways of life of those that are. Uh, formed through phases of trauma. So what I'm hearing is they're pioneers and they're provocateurs. Dobby's a free elf and they haven't really dealt with free elves before. Hermione's not going to fall into whatever wizarding culture is already there. She's going to push back and challenge it on behalf of the house elves. Is that fair? Yeah, like I bet Hermione still goes to the dentist because her parents are dentists. And while I'm sure magic can fix the cavity, I'm sure there is something about the like dental touch that she relates to in her home life. And in the same way that Dobby will still make you a sandwich if you ask him, you know, like, I, I, I don't will, know. There's something. I will admit that I failed to maintain curiosity about Dobby. I'm going to reread the books. Um, I think y'all have, caused me to break down my facade of Dobby hatred. Which is frustrating because I, I wanted to leave this. I wanted to leave two on one, disliking Harry Potter, the person, and also continuing to despise Dobby. So just wait till I talk about how much I hate Hedwig. I'm just kidding. I, I, <laughs> I was like, oh no. Oh no, you ready for that? I was like, um, I, was like I will I will hang on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um I do want to ask one other question, if I could, uh, because I think with the Gryffindor thing and talking about bravery and boldness, where where is the line between being bold and being um, what's the right way to say it? Like in in pastoral ethics, right? Like we lead, but we can't lead the charge all the time. We have to be bold, but we can't be in the spotlight. We have to, you know, the, the book about the church wouldn't be called Arthur Stewart and the board meeting that wouldn't end. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> or whatever the case may be. How do we find balance? What can we take from Gryffindors in doing that? Well, I think that's, I mean, where I go back to the, I think you have all traits in different houses. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I know that I'm a leader. I know that I can be in front of the church and be the 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 host of all things in, in the front. But that's not always where I feel best. It's not always where I perform best. And so kind of being able to be flexible and like leaning into the the different skills that are involved in leading, lifting up the quiet, thoughtful leaders, lifting up the thinkers, lifting up the, um, you know, where do we give space? It's about making space uh, for, for different styles of leadership and recognizing that it's really all about all of us and not just one of us. It's not just, um, you know, we're, we're about embracing God's creation about embracing, um, you know, all of humanity and creating space for that, even when it's hard and challenging, even when we want to be the, the face of it all. Um, that's not always uh, where we need to be because everybody needs their opportunity to lead in their own way. I don't know if that fully answered your question, but. I think that's great. I think that there's something to the identity politics of Gryffindor and their understanding of bravery that we can learn from church about what it means to be consistent. Like when you take on something like I am brave, right? Like that we are Gryffindors and we are brave. We embody courage and that some of us are going to be better at it up front and right off the bat than others, but that we are going to consistently model that like virtue uh, or that like ethical space, like consistently so that when you are ready looking at you, Neville, uh, with that, you know, grabbing the sword in the battle and being like, I'm here, I'm going to do the thing and kill the snake. Like Neville has never been the one that has uh, been the most brave or courageous. And yet he is in a house that is brave and courageous. And I think that it, you know, leaders that model, we have to just be consistent, mm. you know? And, and I think that that for me is what these houses um, offer us and what those spaces of belonging can offer is especially when there's an attribution of something specific that you can lean into as something that you need to do always that it, it gives a level of comfort because you know that that's just something you're doing and have to do and also if you're not there it teaches others will teach you how to do it so that when the time comes for you to need to do it or you're ready to do it or whatever that kind of journey is for you, you know what that might look like. I love it. Uh, Sarah, I want us to be cognizant of our time. And I want to thank you very much for being a guest with us today on Two on One as we figure out life and where pop culture and theology intersect. Uh, We have a traditional final question that we have asked every last one of our guests through all two of our seasons. Uh, And Spiff, you always ask it better than I. Would you please? Of course. Sarah, again, thank you so much for being on. I wish I was looking at your face and with all of you and responding to questions and comments in the chats and things. Uh, But I am grateful for your friendship and space uh, that you are here with us as our uh, 
as our most beloved Gryffindor. Um, and so the final question to you is, what biblical character, story, theme, or narrative are you most inspired by or uh, is most reflected in Harry Potter for you? So I thought about this from the Gryffindor's perspective um, because the obvious answer is like, it's a resurrection story, Harry Potter, duh. But um, I thought about this specifically from the Gryffindor perspective. And the first story that jumped to mind was the story of Esther and her boldness to, to, to care for her community and to do things that um, were maybe made her a little nervous, but she still acted. She still lived out that, that bravery. Um, and so that, that was just the first story that jumped into my head. I was like, and then after that, I couldn't get rid of it. I was like, yeah, yeah. Esther, the whole story of Esther, just like really, really, you know, I, I find when I think about Gryffindor and, and scripture stories, like that's the one where someone's being brave and bold and um, trying to lead their people to good and um, dodge the bad. <laughs> it's funny that you picked Esther. I picked Ruth because of the the people I think of when I think of Gryffindor, Molly and uh, Arthur Weasley, right? And we kind of talked about that, the whole like your family because of how it's chosen and it's my God will be your God and my people, your people, and where you go, I will go. Hermione becomes a Weasley marrying Ron Harry becomes a Weasley with Ginny and it's, it's, they're already there. And it's that devotion that, that creates it. And I, I like that. Hey, we named the two books of the Bible named after, uh, named for women rather. And also, you know, my friend Chronicles Johnson. It's Biff. I love that. I went, yeah, I went in a different direction. I was thinking of, you know, I generally tend to stay away from like this narrative character, like this dominant character, but I was like, I'm going to lean into a little bit of Harry and the things that help Harry. And my favorite thing that Harry has uses time and time again is the pensive. And I think that the pensive is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit's work in scripture. And it's a story of, you know, it's a memory, it's a history. It is a, um, a past that informs uh, our future time and time again, that is still speaking to us. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's deep. Also, um, you know, McGonagall is the, uh, is Jezebel from Revelation chapter two. (laughs) 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 I uh I was waiting. It's it's so we have like about a half a second delay, but it can feel like a good minute and a half <laughs> because I can't see you and I'm like, God. <laughs> uh, well, this has been too long. No, this has been yeah. so much. Bring fun. up, bring up that Jeff One Row promo. I'm going to. So uh, we are uh, gratefully and graciously sponsored by Jeff One Row Designs. Uh, making Ordinary Time Extraordinary for the last 16 years. You can, of course, check the full catalog and customization options at jeffonerow.com. We thank uh, Jeff Onerow Designs for being our lead sponsor on two-on-one. Sarah, thank you very much. Sarah streams on Twitch at Sarah, S-A-R, Bear, B-E-A-R, Stare, S-T-A-R-E, number one. Uh, and you should definitely check her out. You can find us uh, two on one 
on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can look us up on literally any podcasting platform. You can go back in time and we're broadcast on KMOX in the 1930s. It's absolutely bananas, but we are everywhere. Please make sure you subscribe. Please make sure you tell your friends about us because we like interacting with folk. Amen. And next week we have uh, coming up our resident Slytherin, uh, Carrie Tannehill. And then after that, we have Charles Anthony Bryant coming on for our Ravenclaw. I'm so um, excited that Charles Anthony Bryant is coming back onto the show. I just love that man's voice and I love everything about him. Me too. And I want to name, and I realized that we didn't, and I know that there's a little bit of a delay, but last week, uh, viewers and listeners, we did take a week off uh, to recognize that, you know, we are a podcast that is, or a show that is run by two uh, white people and want to make sure that our work is never at the expense or on the back of our uh, black and brown siblings. And so that is where we held space last week um, and and look forward to continuing to support communities that as they need it and as it comes up and and also welcoming back our guest uh, who was scheduled last week. And so to all of you out there, we are, are grateful for all of you. Absolutely. Well, this has been Two on One. I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart, joined, of course, by the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. And thank you again, Sarah, for the third and final time. And uh, until next time, uh, next week, we will see you later. We'll come up with a sign-off, maybe. You know what would inspire me, Spiff, for a sign-off? What? If Travis Smith McKee ever wrote us a theme song. (laughs) Mm, I don't recognize him anymore. Who is that? (laughs) Well, we'll see all of you except Travis later. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody.